White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 617. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. We are back. Andy Fix, are you there? I am here, Van. How are you doing? Hey, we are back. Yes, I'm good. I'm good. Are you good? I'm excellent. I'm excited to be talking to you about some more Babylon 5. Oh, I'm always glad to hear it and always glad to do it. Absolutely. We we had a week off because I was off on vacation and I was not... I had my computer with me, but more to post up that was already done. Didn't Couldn't really record things. So hopefully our listeners didn't mind us having a week for a little vacation. And now we are back to look at two interesting early season three episodes and I think even more than usual because like there are certain episodes that I'm 90% sure how I know you're going to react to them right and you probably know the same thing about me but there's a few that I'm like is he gonna really like this one or is he gonna think this one was kind of boring or a you know kind of a placeholder or you know and so I'm really curious to hear what you think about these two because they are they are two I'll go ahead and say it right now, Andy. These are two episodes that could have been season one. I would not disagree with you. I mean, in every way, including I could see Sinclair as the lead in both of these episodes. Right, right. 100%. I I do not disagree with you. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to get right on into it. Um, This is the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico, joined as always by Andy Fix. And... Andy, do we do you have any announcements or notes before we get started? Because I don't, I don't think. I don't either. Yeah. Well, we did go over six thousand downloads, and we're well on our way towards seven thousand now. And that's exciting. Even though I accidentally deleted about a hundred, because I know I well from the from the from the odometer. You know what I mean? I deleted oh, okay, about a hundred right. off the odometer. What happened was when I posted the the episode from that Bobby and I did several years ago, I had to go back and put a spoiler warning in it because when I first posted it I hadn't really listened to it in a while and I'm like oh my gosh this thing is full of spoilers I'd forgotten and so I went back and when I did it reset the counter from like a hundred and something to zero so when people yeah when people go and look they'll think oh nobody listened to that episode compared to the others oh no it was a very popular episode it's just that I accidentally I accidentally hit the reset on it so anyway um the only thing I I don't do it ah what do you think I thought it was great. It was, it was, it was interesting to, to see you, how, how your perspective has changed a little bit. Yeah. And Bobby's too, for that matter. That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the first time that he and I had talked about it since we were actually originally watching it back in the 90s, you know. So yeah, we hadn't put a lot of thought into it yet, not like you and I are doing now. Yeah, thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and I are doing a lot more analytical breakdowns of these episodes than right. I've ever done before, for sure. Yeah. Oh, same here. Yeah. Same here. And and I think I'm getting so much from listening to you talk about these episodes. 
uh, it, oh. it's it's a ton of fun. You know, Same I'm, here. I'm seeing a whole new perspective on, on a lot of these. So yeah, oh, I, I think that's here. why this is great because we're we're just we're we're feeding off of each other. Um, yes, it's it's a lot. It, it's been eye opening. It's really neat. Well, that's why I always like to do shows like this with at least one partner because there's always going to be different perspectives and and you know both people bring something to the table and that's uh and that's cool because you and I look for different things but we also enjoy the similar things and so it, it works out pretty well and that's true of Andy and Nathan as well and I'm always glad to have them on too. Um, yep. Um. So the only other news I guess is we're, we I guess everybody knows by now that the that the reboot of Babylon Five has been probably postponed. To next year, but we don't really have any information since then. So I guess we'll leave. we'll let sleeping right. stations lie for now and see what happens in a few months. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to point out now. We'll point out again at the midpoint. We don't have commercials. We don't have ads. You don't have to listen to people trying to sell you drugs of any kind or gambling or any of that kind of stuff. We don't even really advertise other podcasts, even though you know we do other podcasts and this network has quite a few on it. Um, we just depend on you, our patrons. So if you are not a patron, but you enjoy this show, please go to www.b5review.com and click on the box to become a patron and help us out for as little as a dollar a month. And we're going to thank by name, everybody in just a little while that does it. And we really appreciate it. And you get a few days early access to every show. So, you know, there's incentives. So, uh, and I'm still wanting us to do like a special episode just for the patrons sometime like for the first six months or something, they'd be the only ones to get it. I just have to think of what it would be. So we'll have to put our heads together and come up with something for them. I think that would be cool. You ought, you ought to do this this uh, uh, recording we're doing. We ought to record the video so they can see our pretty faces. <laughs> that would be something we should send out to people that don't become patrons. <laughs> <laughs> They're not missing a lot with the without the video here. Oh, my goodness. I'm trying to punish people like that. Well, no, you're a handsome, fine-looking man, but Lord knows I'm. Oh, thanks, I've been I've been beaten down by years of raising two kids here, and I'm just uh, I'm a wreck of my former self. It's a very sad story. Probably have a very sad ending, but at least there is symmetry, right? Right. <laughs> we remember that line. Oh goodness. Um. So, uh, let's go ahead and get on into it. And remember, we save our spoilers for things that happen after these episodes to the very end after the spoiler space signal. And, oh, gosh, I haven't opened the spoiler space uh, app, so let me do that. And there we go. Now the spoiler space sound effect is primed and ready. Now, tonight we are looking at episode 303, A Day in the Strife, and 304, Passing Through Gethsemane. Two pretty different episodes. I would say the one thing they have in common is that they are, to a certain degree, uh, episodic. And and there are elements, particularly of the first one, that fit into the overall arc a little bit. Nafar, stuff like that. But mostly these are kind of standalone episodes. Would you agree? I would definitely agree. Yeah. I, there's a, a little bit more to do with Jakar in the first one, the one we're yeah. about to talk about, than I, than I remembered. Yeah. And it was kind of important stuff, too, so... That's that's true so often. I mean, right. how how many times have we watched an episode that we thought was about A and B, and it ends up that like Jakar and his thing ends up being like a really big part of it? That's true of so many right. episodes. Yep. And he, and he it, there's not a lot of scenes or any any no. long scenes with him in it, but I mean they pack a lot into that, a lot yes. of emotion into those scenes. Yeah, and I gotta say, 
I had forgotten which episode was was the Nafar. In fact, I couldn't remember if Nafar was in more than one episode. But I couldn't remember what episode was the Nafar episode. But you're going to be seeing Nafar again, Andy. In fact, that might be what we want to do for one of the patron things. Is it back here behind me to my left are my Babylon 5 card game boxes and, de- and, and binders. And one of the starting ambassadors that was introduced into that game later on toward the end of the game is Nafar. So you can actually cool. play a Narn deck run by Nafar instead of Jakar. Very cool. And it works completely different, right? It's, it's, it's trying right. to do different things than the Jakar deck is. And I used it several times to great effect. It is a very interesting deck, and so I'll, I'll bring that one. And maybe we'll record some of our discussion of the card game and put that up as a special for the... If it's, if it's entertaining, that? you know what I mean? If it's generally entertaining, cool. we can put it up for them. Yeah, well, we'll we'll do it after a couple beers, so it'll be entertaining either way. It'll be very entertaining. All right. As I always ask, would you like to kick off or defer to the second half on describing the episode? I will will definitely receive on this one, and I'll uh, Mm. I'll go ahead and and tell you what this one was about. All right. So in this episode, um, a probe arrives to Babylon 5, and once they decode the signal, uh, it is offering uh, vast information on uh, new technology and uh, new um, new discoveries, but they have to answer a set of questions. And if they fail to answer these questions, the probe will self-destruct and take Babylon 5 with it. Uh, while all that's going on, uh, the new ambassador from um, uh, Narn has come to take over Babylon 5 and all the Narns on Babylon 5 and wants Jakar to go back home to report to the the new government on Narn, right? Which is (laughs) probably not a good idea. For for in this order, his execution and fair trial. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And uh, for the um, C-plot, Garibaldi confronts Franklin about his stim usage. Yes. Which which is is an important... (sighs) There's a lot going... Yeah, there's a lot going on. it's a densely packed episode. In fact, it's so densely packed, the opening um, uh, scene, which I thought was going to be one of the, 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 the plot lines, was just a framing, you know, a framing structure. The, the, the scene with the, um, the labor. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the labor unions. Yes. So, you know, they, they introduced this labor strife in the very first scene, and then they dropped it until the very last scene. So it wasn't even a plot line. But, I mean, it could very well have been. No, you're right. You're right. And it's interesting, by the way, that that scene harkens backward to the um, the Catherine Drennan episode with the dock workers right. and, and and our buddy Orin Zinto. That yeah. was his episode. And yeah. it also it also harkens forward, if that's the term, to the first episode of Crusade. Oh yeah, Gide- Gideon and the and the it, guys on the ship. Yeah, it's very interesting to contrast how Sheridan handled this particular labor situation to how Sinclair handled his labor situation. That's true. Sinclair yeah. went down there and, you know, was ready to, to get in a fight with the guy and all that stuff. It was, it, it was a neat scene. I really enjoyed the scene. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't go anywhere, but uh, I thought it was cool. And both, both uh, commanders of the station handled the situation differently, but mm-hmm. equally effectively. Yeah, yeah. Was well, it is always interesting to kind of see how Sheridan does things differently from Sinclair because they are two very different people. But I like them both so much. You know, it's just different. Right. It's 
just different ways of going about it. Um, and I got to say, before I get into laying out the, some of the some of the information this episode, I think of this as the probe episode, right? And yet, yep. honestly, that plot probably takes up about what seven minutes, eight minutes, if that. Yeah, there's it, when it's, it f- it's more. Yeah, it, it. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was gonna say, there's when it first appears. And then, really, the only other thing you get is like when they're trying to get Franklin to get the medical information, and then there's when they deal with it at the end. It's like one, two, three, right. and that's it. Right. It gets mentioned a couple times, but it's always in a scene that's moving one of the other plots forward. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the Franklin scene is more about him being on stems than it is about the probe. It's just he's yelling at the woman about it. That right. just happens exactly. to be the thing he's yelling about. So, yeah, that's interesting. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, c- all right, a couple of things. This is production number 303, and it was episode 303. It first aired November 20th, 1995. It's amazing to me that, that episode one of season one was in 94, and before 95 is over, we're already moving toward the midpoint of, of, of season three. So they crammed a lot into the first couple of years of this show, and yet... You know, we get the ending not until the end of 1998. So it's it's weird how it's spaced out. It's just strangely spaced out. Of course, it was written by JMS because almost everything was for the next couple of years and directed by David Eagle. And I haven't decided yet. I don't think David Eagle is on my Mount Rushmore of Babylon 5 directors, but he is adjacent to it. You know what I mean? He's not he's not Adam Nimoy. He's not Jesus Trevino. um, He's not Janet Greek. But he's he's right below those those folks. Right. So he's first alternate. He might be. He very well might be first alternate. Um, notable guest stars: Stephen Mocked as Nafar. Now this is interesting. I was like, who is Stephen Mocked? I should know who this guy is because he does a great job. I thought as Nafar, and he's been in. I looked him up. He has been in everything. He's one of those actors that's been around Hollywood for fifty years, and he's been in everything. Um, he's recently played a law professor on Suits, that show that has the Duchess of Kent or whatever on it, you know. Right. And this is what I... And his son, Gabriel Mocked, was the star of Frank Miller's The Spirit in 2008. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, how about that? Horrible movie. Yeah, but I mean, (laughs) there's his son popping up in in a genre thing, right? And this, I think, is by far the most interesting thing about Stephen Mocked. He was Gene Roddenberry's first choice to play Jean-Luc Picard. Yep. I, I had that. You had that? Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I hate <laughs> when I right. step on your cool things. Oh, no, man. I, I, I've, got, I've got two other cool things, so, you know, Well, we're good. We get Marshall Teague back as the great Talon. Everybody loves Talon. Anne Betancourt as Dr. Gonzalez. Joshua Corwin is Joshua Cox is Corwin. Uh, one of the princes of Amber, apparently, and as you know, and Neil Bradley is. I have to mention Neil Bradley is Narn one because that's the same Narn that pops up all the time. Neil Bradley, I don't know what he looks like. I think he must just look like a Narn in daily life, and they just slap some spots on him, and he's out there being right. that 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 Narn is darn that Narn is what they should call his his sitcom, right? So, so all right. Before we go on, yes. Before we go on, back to yes. the the. Uh, you mentioned uh, Corwin, mm-hmm. the the officer in the. I, a, I like that he's getting more screen time now. We see a little bit more of his personality, and he's kind of a, a sardonic personality. <laughs> it's kind of fun to see. That's true. And the name Corwin was actually invented by one Roger Zelazny. Mm. 
for his nine princes neighbor. Most mm-hmm. people think Corwin is like this ancient name that comes from old uh, Ireland or Scotland or something like that. That's not the case. It was invented in the early 1970s for that book. If my 14-year-old had been a boy, one of her two names would have been Corwin. And That's I funny. know I know a number of people named Corwin because their their parents loved uh, the Zelazny books. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Love it. My, and, um, my son Le- my son Leland almost got the middle name Kirby because ah. I wanted to name him after my two favorite uh, Marvel creators, Lee and Kirby. So it would have been oh, Leland wow. Kirby. Wow. Kirby. That's but my amazing. Wife, my wife caught on to that too quickly and put the kibosh on it. <laughs> well, you know, uh, my daughter ended up instead being named Mira, which is, you know, Mira Furlan. And um, yeah. she just found out today that Mira Furlan passed away, and she was very shocked because she's like, she had said, oh, I've kind of accepted that that's who I'm named after. And I'm not sure her mother has accepted wow. that, but, <laughs> but Mira has. <laughs> and uh, I think her mother just thought it was a really nice name. And I'm like, and it's also Dolan on Babylon 5, but we won't say that. But, um, but yeah, so, uh, so she was very sad to hear that. And, and by the way, I don't know if I have this somewhere in the notes, but, oh, I do. I'll. I'll mention it later because it's one of our listeners, one of our patrons that sent this information in. And I, it's something I didn't know. And maybe you knew and maybe everybody else but me knew. But we'll get to that in a little bit. So do you have right. any random factoids and notes about A Day in the Strife? I do. I have. I had three, but now I only have two. Oh, man. Um, so bad. <laughs> Dang it. The first, you know, we, we often talk about um, JMS having trapdoors for all of his actors. Yes. Uh, in case they, in case something happens where they can no longer do the show, somebody this on episode, Babylon Five, an actor on Babylon Five, have a misfortune befall them. I can't imagine such a thing. <laughs> it's terrible. It's so terrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This particular oh. episode was Veer's trapdoor episode because he gets sent off to Minbar because yes. he had just signed up to do a sitcom, which then flopped very quickly and was canceled. You know, yeah. at mid season, but. Uh, yeah, this was supposed to be Veer's, you know, goodbye. So, That's right. Misery um, loves company, yeah. Yep. And my other one isn't quite as cool or quite as, as, as big, but in the scene in the very beginning when uh, um, Garibaldi is talking to Dr. Franklin about how tired he is, and they're sitting in the bar, and this woman keeps walking by and asking, you know, kind of flirting. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Franklin actually asks, finally, after he goes back to the bathroom to do some stims, comes back and asks her to dance. Yep. That is actually Richard Biggs' wife. I thought I recognized her. I've seen her at Dragon Con, yeah. Yeah, so I, I thought that thought was kind of neat. Who it was. Yep. She's a striking lady. Yeah, absolutely. I she is that tall. Yeah. Because I, I know Richard Biggs is, is taller than me, and she was taller than Richard Biggs. Wow, yeah. Yeah. I I, 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 I was thinking, I bet, I, said, I bet that's his wife, but I'm not 100% sure because we don't really see her very clearly there. Yeah, that's cool. Right. Um, let's see. I've got a couple of things. Is there an A plot of this episode, Andy? I think it's a bunch of B and C plots without an A plot. I think so. I think that the, 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 um, probe was supposed to be the A plot, but like we, we talked about, they didn't really dedicate a whole lot of time to it. I mean, no, no, it was more it, it of a was, gimmick. It was in definitely a way. the, right. Yeah. It, it felt very Star Trekky. I mean, yeah. you know, alien probe comes and stops yep. the Enterprise, or I mean, the space station. But they handled it entirely differently how Star Trek would have. So I thought that was kind of yeah. cool. And it really comes down to Sheridan going, ah, "I feel this way. Let's just risk getting blown to bits," right. you know. And I'm just, right. I love Susan's like, "Oh boy." <laughs> <laughs> 
and that's not the first time Sheridan has done that. He did that mm. was the first episode with the uh, the uh, who oh it? with the Trigotti. Yeah, with the Trigotti, right? Yes, you're when, right. When he, he pulled that. He pulled that nonsense. I was like, "You're what?" And, uh, it, yeah. it, it, you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of War Games in Space 1999, where you know Koenig orders the the Eagles to fire on the Hawks, and they get this giant war that destroys Alpha. And at the very end of the episode, spoilers for a show that came out in 1976. Okay, at the end of the episode, he realizes the whole thing has been in his mind, and the Hawks are coming, and he says, "Don't fire." And then they go by and they disappear, right? He's he's been shown what would happen, and now he makes a better decision. That was very Sheridan. That was very Koenig-like what Sheridan did, I guess, in a way. So yeah, <laughs> but that makes me think of that. Okay, I was just curious what you thought about that plot. Um, when Sheridan says "kill me" and everyone here gets an instant promotion, I'm like, wait, is this Babylon Five or the Star Trek Mirror Universe? <laughs> <laughs> and it made me kind of want to see the Babylon. Well, all right. I, very quickly, there is a Babylon 5 Mirror Universe story. I think we've talked about this before, right? We have, yeah. yeah. It sounds really cool. You, Yeah, it's just, I'm not going to say anything else. Just Google Babylon 5 Dark Distorted Mirror and set aside about a two-year window to read it. Because, good Lord, it's huge, but it's so good and it's so in-depth. Anyway, all right, enough of that. Um, but yeah, he did say that. And I'm like, wait, what? When does Earth Force work like that? Um, we find out for the first time that a comet is an important religious symbol for the Burkiri. And I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say that we will see that again in the fifth season. Okay. Because uh, we haven't seen much of the Burkiri yet. But again, I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say the the Burkiri will become a more important alien race as the show goes on. They've barely been even in the show so far. But right. they are they kind of like I, I would argue they kind of take the place of the Markab as like the other important alien race besides the main ones. Is that, you know what I'm saying? They become more yeah. important later. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. I, I thought it was. I, I always like to see what Garibaldi thinks of Sheridan, right? You and I have talked about that a lot over the course of season two into season three. What, is, what does Garibaldi make of this guy? Because he, did, he didn't know him the way he knew Sinclair. And so I was really fascinated when Garibaldi told Susan, he says, I've looked at, and Franklin, he says, I've looked at Sheridan's files. They're like, <gasps> and he says, right. I think he's the one chance we have to make it through all this alive. And I'm like, well, that's important for two reasons. One, it shows that, Garibaldi really has taken to Sheridan, right? He mm-hmm. he sees the one we he sees the Sheridan we see, but it also, if anything in the future should change Garibaldi's mind, you might want to take it with a grain of salt because we know what Garibaldi thinks of Sheridan. Right. Interesting. Okay. Yep. For sure. I'm just painting around was, the edges. That was a funny little scene where when Ivanova then comes back. Well, have you looked at my files? <laughs> She's a very private person. She doesn't like people snooping yeah. in her head or in her files. Yeah, right. Um, let's see. So, uh, yeah, Franklin goes off. You mentioned he goes off the bathroom and comes back a lot more energetic. So I think we know what was going on in there, uh, unless Franklin is also on cocaine or something. Um, <laughs> stems do seem to be the cocaine of the twenty third century. Um, right. Londo is as evil as we have ever seen him when he questions Nafar. That yes. scene blew my mind when he's like asking him, you know, these horrible questions, culminating with, 
And the executions, Nafar. Are the executions continuing? The executions are continuing. And then he looks at Veer after Nafar leaves, and he says, They still have their pride. He tries to hide it, this one, but I can see it in his eyes. As long as it remains, they will always be a threat. Londo has gone full-on genocidal, basically, which is right. shocking. And in that same scene, just a minute later, he tries to play it off as like, well, this is what we just have to do, you know? Yeah. He, he tries He tries to play like, you know, old Londo or something. It's like, no, mm-hmm. you don't do that and say that and then get to reset. And then every other episode, he's like, oh, poor me. Everything's going so bad for me. I'm having such a horrible year and everything. It's like, look, either right. you're conquering the galaxy as this megalomaniacal genocidal maniac or you're having a bad day. Can it really be both? Well, I think he's doing the the megalomio the the yeah yeah that that one. I wasn't sure I said it right either, so don't worry, don't sweat it. <laughs> I think he he's putting that on because he feels like it's something he has to do. Yeah, and I think it's eating away at his soul. And I think I think he think he still sees himself as the fun, you know, goofy Ma- Lando Malari from the first season who has to do this nasty stuff. Just to, to to help out, you know, just to do his duty to his people, and I think that's eating at his soul, and I, yeah. I, I think that's why we get the dichotomy there. I think you're right. Um, yeah, you mentioned Misery Loves Company, that TV show, and it, it lasted eight episodes. I was thinking to myself, it's about four guys who hang out at a bar talking about their problems, and I thought, I wonder if JMS knew about it when he wrote that scene with Veer and Lanier meeting at the bar to commiserate. <laughs> Remember that? So yeah. Maybe that was his That's way funny. of giving Veer a little, you know, a nod to his new show coming. Speaking of Veer, Stephen First suffered from diabetes and lost 100 pounds after this season. I remember in season four thinking he didn't look the same. Right. He lost he 100 pounds. Not on purpose. So, well, I guess maybe he was trying to lose weight because of diabetes, but it probably didn't help. He went from 275 to 175, which is less than I weigh. And he said... It said when he returned to begin filming for season four, none of his costumes would fit anymore, and they had to redo his costumes, and his kidneys failed, and a Babylon 5 fan heard about it and donated a kidney to save his life. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I 175 is what I weigh. I, I can't yeah. imagine Stephen First weighing, I mean, yeah. holy cow. Yeah, yeah. 175 is what I'm aiming for. I'm just a little above that now, still, but I'm on the way back down. I met. See, this is the thing. I try to I try to be charitable and understanding with Stephen first because I met him at Dragon Con around 2000, 2001, and he was the grouchiest, angriest, surliest person I've ever met at a convention. He was not happy to be there. He was angry. He was not interested in signing autographs. He was definitely not interested in chatting. And and I. Everybody has a bad day, right? I don't want to think that's just how he was because other people don't say that he was like that. But he had like a few copies of, of Animal House on DVD that he was pushing, trying to sell for 20 bucks a piece or whatever, which is kind of, you know. And um, so my girlfriend and I went up to him and, and I was trying to make conversation in a way that he would, that would make him happy. And so I said, you know, I said, oh, I heard that your son, you know, just directed that, uh, that Batman video that was really, really cool. And he's like, eh, he just was not interested in talking so maybe he was you know, having health problems 
Maybe that's what right. It if if he's diabetic, I know that if you're having a a, a diabetic uh, situation, if your blood sugar's crashing or something like that, you just don't want to even be alive. So yeah, he, yeah. he may have been having some some health issues. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I, I'll we'll certainly chalk it up to that. Um, Garibaldi spends a lot of time this episode trying to help people that don't want to be helped. I yeah. thought that was interesting, and um, including Londo, including um, Franklin and others, Jakar. Jakar, yeah. Um, this was weird. Sheridan asks if there are any secure bots in the area of the probe. Corwin says just one. Then they immediately show two of them floating there. <laughs> I'm like, were you guys at uh, at the special effects department not actually reading the script when you when you probably made this? not? <laughs> no, no, no. And then the last thing I have is that somebody asked JMS after the show aired, whatever became of Nafar? Because you know we never get any closure with Nafar in this episode, right? He, you know, the, the Narns kind of rallied behind Jakar and then, well, whatever, did he leave? What happened? And JMS says he had no choice but to return to Narn when nobody would follow him. But we, it was weird how it, instead of getting closure on that, we got the little probe thing and then it was kind of over and we didn't really get any much of a closure with Nafar. I would have liked to have seen him right. packing up and getting on his transport to leave, you know. Right. I, I think they could have done something like that rather than finish up with the, uh, the labor stuff argument yeah i mean i, I know they, they use that as a framing device but still i, I think yeah. that scene could have been jettisoned for something to wrap Though that was a part. funny bit i'm not sure if i have it in my funny yeah, bit. we'll save it <laughs> where he's disappointed they didn't blow up <laughs> right <laughs> all right so let's get into it let's get our categories what was your high point my high point was the return of of Taylan. i thought that was really cool and yes I, me too cool he's a cool character and uh i i thought it was uh yeah it was neat not only I had down not only that he's back and he's awesome, but it's so cool to see how easily he he and Sheridan just slide into conversation. Right? It's like they're old buddies. Right? right. Yeah, I thought and that was a neat scene. When these show when this episode first aired, I had no idea who he was. I'm like, who is this guy, and why does Sheridan know him? Because I had seen All Alone in the Night, but God, I'd seen it right. a year earlier. I didn't remember that. Right. Yep. You know, so. I'm like, who is this Narn with a samurai sword, and why does Sheridan act like they're best buddies? Did I miss something? And then later, I'm like, oh, it's that guy. I think maybe Bobby actually told me. Bobby's like, yeah, that was because Bobby really likes Talon, and he's like, yeah. oh, that was the guy from the from the from the you know the Stribe ship. And I'm like, oh, that's that dude. Oh, okay, cool. So yeah, that was exciting. So what was your low epi- low point of the episode? Uh, the low point of the episode was when uh, Garibaldi first confronted uh, Doc. Uh, about the the stims, I, I thought that was just very sad. Um, yes, knowing where both characters end up, yeah. um, it, it it was yeah, it was kind of sad. And and it and honestly, it was kind of predictable how that conversation went. It was painful to watch because it was like every denial conversation ever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't knowing, have a problem, and ha ha, you right. think I have a problem, and I don't. And right. That knowing how, knowing where what we know about where Steven ends up, we know that this is just the beginning of his journey. Yeah. We want to just shake him, like just listen to Garibaldi. He knows what he's talking about, but he doesn't. And and, uh, and I the the moment that really hurt to me the most is it up until that up until a certain point in this episode, you're thinking, well, maybe he does have it under control. You know, maybe he's just doing this to get through all this tough time he's having with extra work, and then he lies about it. When he right. lied about it to Garibaldi, I'm like, ah, he set yep. foot down that path. Now there's no coming back, right? He lied about yep. it. When he said, I didn't use any, and we all know he did, right? Obviously he did. So, 
I meant to say when we we're talking about Talon that there's that great exchange where Sheridan goes, I'm not sure what my superiors in Earth Force would say if I showed up with a Narn bodyguard. And Talon says, they would say there is a man who will live to be 150. <laughs> That's such a great line. Good old that Talon. Was a, yeah, that was cool. Um, my low point is I don't like it when they take shorthand things. And JMS is big. I mean, he, he comes up with clever shorthand things, but when you've watched them two or three times, you notice the shorthand. And in this one, because we've talked about this before, like, you know, like way back in Midnight on the Firing Line, he's got the Centauri sitting up there at the desk going, you know, standing by. You know, he's talking like somebody you hear over the radio rather than a guy actually sitting there. Okay. Right. Well, here Corwin gets to do it. And Corwin is allegedly getting a translation of what's being sent by the probe. It should take quite a lot of time for Corwin to parse out all this different stuff and then be able to present Susan with a summary. But instead, it's like he's hearing in real time a summary in English that he's then relaying to her. And I'm like, where are you getting this from, Corwin? You know? (laughs) I, I, I mean, I'm not sure I'm making that clear, but like he says, uh, they want to know about this kind of information. They want to know about medical. They want to know about math. They want to know about science. And what are they offering as a reward? Oh, they're offering um, technology greater than anything we actually have right now. And I'm like, how do you know that? Right. <laughs> You're Corwin. They must have told him. And we're offering you technology greater than anything you have right now. When they first encounter us for the first time and don't know anything about us, and in fact, the entire point of the operation is to find out what we have. I hate when JMS does this. It drives me crazy because it sounds good on the surface, and you're like, yeah, I'm going with it. And then you go back and think about it, and you're like, that doesn't make any dang sense at all. That doesn't make any sense at all. So it just it's not a human conversation. It's a contrivance for a drama, but it is not a normal human conversation that Corwin and Susan have there. That's all, that's all I'm trying to say, so... Um, I would agree with you there. Okay. Um, and I, the, the other low point was Franklin yelling louder at the alien because the alien didn't speak English. I'm like, really, <laughs> Stephen? Suddenly we're in France? Suddenly we're an American in France in 1955 and we're yelling English louder at the foreigner? Really? <sighs> God, that's not going to probably work, Stephen. And you know that. You know that. For some reason, I thought for sure that that uh, that that patient was going to die, and it would have been because Stephen didn't wait. I I, mm. I had it in my head that oh, this is that episode when that patient dies, and that's what drives Stephen to do his drugs. Oh, no, yeah, it didn't happen. I or he died because Stephen yelled at him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Alien's like, I'm sorry, and dies. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I don't speak English, dude. <laughs> Um, do you have an Orenzento Ari Benzane overacting award for this episode? I do not. All right, I've got one, and you, you've forgotten because you'd have totally had this one. Uh oh. Uh oh. Very beginning, the dock worker. Oh, the, yeah, the dude with the mustache. Yeah, he's all I've got is what I've got. I'm just like, oh, come on. He's, I mean, he tries so hard to be intimidating and tough, and he comes out really more like Richard Maul than the one we kind of <laughs> laughed about. I think if he would have been a if that would have been a bigger plot line and he yeah. was in more scenes, I would have given him the award. We just had like two lines from the dude. Yeah, that's that's true. I you know I'm I'm detecting a trend though. 
the characters on Babylon 5 that are thoughtful and intelligent, either good or bad or whatever, right, but just thoughtful and can have a good conversation, they come out really well. The type of characters that really come out very badly on this show are like the big, strong thug guys. It's like JMS just right. doesn't... He, he he writes wonderfully, but like the characters he writes the worst of all the characters he writes, I think, are the big, dumb thug guys. He just... Doesn't right. have a feel for him, I don't think. Which is, which is interesting because yeah. I would think he would, but he doesn't. So, um, all right. What was your? I'm glad we had one. What was your most Babylon Five scene? My most Babylon Five scene was when all the Narn uh, are um, trying to convince Jakar to stay. I thought that was a really powerful scene, um, and it it, cha- it it worked. It changed his mind, and he stayed, which has u- huge implications down the road. You and I are simpatico tonight, my friend. It is, yeah, Jakar intervenes with the other Narns when they're confronting Nafar. And he says, I'll go back if the alternative is that we fight each other. And then, yeah, he's convinced to stay. And Talon gets that awesome line, I carry my sword. I love that Jakar thinks that Talon is threatening him. Have I taught you nothing? And Talon says, I carry my sword in my hand. You carry yours in your mind and in your heart. I'd say that gives you a two-to-one advantage in arms. And you can just see Jakar's expression change from from outrage and disappointment to pride. Right. And I love it. And and only only Andreas could pull that that subtlety off like this. Under makeup. makeup. Yes. Yeah, he was still able to pull it off. I thought that was really cool. And I, you know, I couldn't help but but think about the current situation, the current global situation with the war going on in Ukraine. It just, it just kind of, I don't know if it's because I had been watching it so much on the news lately, but that the whole, you know, citizens banding together to fight, you know, an invading army mm-hmm. and stuff like that. That just, it just mm-hmm. hit me that uh, it was, it was uh, kind of lifelike. It was weird. Yeah. No, yeah, sure. Yeah, and I mean, and I want to say this is why we love. Andreas so much is because he can do stuff like this that just makes the whole show come screeching to a halt while right. you listen very carefully with all your attention to what he's going to say. And this is right. about the time that people said, you know, Andreas could read from the phone book and we would all just be wrapped with attention at what he was going to say. John Smith. Oh, <laughs> but you know what? It, Jakar gets the best arc of the series. He gets the best scenes in the series. He does. So they're feeding their best actor, the yeah. best material, and it's just magic. Yes. And then having Peter Jurassic to play off of. Right. The two right. of them, they, I mean, yeah. Both of those characters get such meaty material. I mean, yes. it's like they're serving them a steak dinner every night. It's it's awesome. Absolutely. Um, favorite character moment? You know, I had a couple for this. Um, I, I had the first scene with uh, Sheridan confronting the, confronting the dock worker. Mm, I thought that was okay. kind of kind of uh he came across as a, as a tough guy and but it was also kind of funny his interactions with with uh Ivanova there afterwards where he you know he shows her the the the, the ammo clip that he, yeah. he palmed while he's giving him the gun yeah uh, um but i had to go with um when garibaldi visits jakar to, to plead with him not to go um i thought that was a very touching scene it was it was garibaldi for the first time really i mean this is these two have a a friendship build and this is where it, I mean, there's been a couple of interactions before, you know, where they kind of, you know, uh, help each other out. But this was the first time, where, and he flat out says, you know, I've had a lot of good friends who have died, and I don't want to add another one to that list. So he's flat out stating, 
I value you as a friend. And I thought, and, and their friendship grows from there. And I thought that was really cool to, to see the beginnings of that. You know what? This is, this is another one of those moments where our conversation makes me think of things. I hadn't thought of this before, but what you just said made me think of this. The first couple of seasons, who does Garibaldi more associate with? Londo. Londo, right. Now he's not associating with Londo at all. He never associated with Jakar before, except to maybe right. try to arrest him or something, right? When Jakar right. get mad. Now it it's like Garibaldi is the wind vane, the weather vane pointing at the one that's more sympathetic. And earlier it was yep. Londo when Jakar was just mean, a Klingon, right? Right. And now the wind is blowing the other way, and there goes Garibaldi. And it's not a right. conscious thing, I don't think. And I doubt it's even a conscious. I doubt it was even conscious with JMS. But it shows you which one of them, at a given time, you could actually have a reasonable conversation with. Because Jakar used to be unreasonable, and now Londo right. is unreasonable. And I, I think there was a very, a very explicit turning point. I think it was in Knives when. Yeah, uh, Londo wanted to meet Jakar or wanted to meet uh, Garibaldi for drinks, and mm-hmm. and he just blew him off. And that was the last time that they, yeah. you know, talked as friends. You so pointed thought, that out at the time. And I think I'm increasingly, I didn't ever disagree with you, but I'm increasingly seeing how important that was. Yeah. yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Yep. Yeah. Um, mine, I think yours is probably better, but I'm glad I have a different one just to kind of spread around a little bit. I have Londo and Delin because, and this is interesting how it ends, you don't get a lot of Londo and Delin scenes in this entire show. This whole right. series, there's not a lot of Londo and Delenn. They're usually with somebody else. But they have an interesting conversation, and there's a great line. There's a really funny line where Londo is trying to tell Delenn that it would be okay to have Veer on Minbar. He wouldn't even spy on your government. He would consider it rude. And I'm just like, that is so Veer, right? right. Oh, no, Londo, I couldn't do that, no. And uh, But Veer, we all spy on each other. Oh, no, Londo, I can't do it, you know. And um, and then it ends, and this is what I was getting around to, it ends with Londo saying, I miss that we don't talk anymore, Delin. And she says, we never really talked, Londo. And he goes, no, I suppose we did not. And I thought, yeah, they never really did, and they don't really much. And so it was good to get – I just thought it was interesting to have the two of them together. Right, it was. And uh, this this had a lot of really great character scenes. The one when Londo is giving the news to Veer – I thought was another really good scene because it, it shows, you know, Londo just pushing more and more people away. I oh, mean, yeah. it was done for, you know, real world reasons, you know, but, getting rid of the actor, but I think it worked very well into Londo's arc. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay. Funniest moment. All right. For me, the funniest moment was when uh, Sheridan was talking with Delenn or not with Delenn, but with Ivanova uh, right there towards the end with, when they were talking about the probe and, uh, Ivanova asks him, always find the good in any situation, eh, Captain? And he says, absolutely. If I didn't, I might end up like you. <laughs> hey, what's that supposed to mean? Did you hear that? And Corwin shakes his head, no. I have the exact same thing. We are totally in simpatico on this episode. It's crazy. And Susan says, somebody's going to wind up with their shower setting set to ice water. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's the, it. The look on Corwin's face when she asks him that, he's like, uh, Don't know. no, Commander. I mean, he's la. very, very proper. And, la, la, and very, la. No, Commander, I didn't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had one. That's, I totally agree with you. We, we, we really are. I'm, I don't think we've ever had an episode that we were just like one after another after right. another on these things. But um, I also had um, 
the there's one other really funny line where Londo is telling Veer about this promotion, and he says, "You have been promoted. You'll earn more money, receive more attention. Women may even come to find you attractive in time." <laughs> in time. <laughs> I thought that was funny too. That was a good one. Yeah, it was good. All right, so we gotta we gotta decide here, and I'm curious who won this episode. Uh, Jakar. Jakar won this episode um, because you know he he. He got the new purpose. I mean, he, yeah. he he got his people behind him yet again, but this time, you know, he he got them. He, he got a mandate from the people. So, yeah. um, I, I think he he's definitely the winner of this one. I'm gonna agree with you, but I'm gonna throw in Talon also because I think Talon won by coming back and ending up on the right. He came in on the wrong side, though he didn't know it. He was just doing a job, and he ends up on the right side, and that's pretty cool. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Um, how do you rate this one? Mm. I want I want to hear your rating first because I don't sure. want to be the one to spoil our simpatico. <laughs> Excellent. All right, mainly for the Jakar storyline, um, but I have to say this: I like the probe storyline. It's not super exciting. It takes up about seven minutes of the episode, and like you pointed out, other stuff is happening while it's happening. Right. But I kind of thought it was neat. I I thought it was interesting. It was just, I mean. Would you have said send or no send? I would have. I would have said no send because I. 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 Yeah. The the probe. It seemed too too uh, trite. You know what what it was offering. Yeah. It, it, if it sounds too good to to you know if it if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I I just couldn't believe they spent the entire episode gathering all that information, and then when it came time to send it, they're like, "Yeah, let's don't do it." And just see what right. happens. And I'm just like, are you kidding? The whole thing I, comes down to Sheridan rolling the dice. I would have, I would have thought that it was the probe wasn't there to to see how much we knew. It was there because it wanted to get technology and information from us. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting too. Yeah. And I think this also demonstrates that there are times when you need one decisive leader. Because if right. you put this up to a democratic vote, they'd have voted to send. Right. Absolutely. Hundred percent. They well. Eighty-five percent would have voted to send the thing, and it'd have blown up. And, and twenty-five percent would have said, "What probe? There's no probe." <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> <laughs> All right, because of the Jakar storyline in Talon, I gave it a three which to All me right. is good. To me, that's good. That's above right. the middle three. Right. I wanted. I, I was waffling between three and two point five. I, I would have given it a two point seven five if I could have, but All I. Right. I I sided with the 2.5 because I I just didn't like the I thought the the probe uh, story was a little too Star Trekky. It was yeah. still a, a good it episode. Is. I mean, 2.5 out of five is is average. And when we're comparing it to the rest of Babylon Five, even a 2.5 Babylon Five episode yes. beats the snot out of a lot of other sci-fi shows. This is a hundred percent true. We uh, absolutely we always uh, t- uh, anything above a two, anything two or better is good. And then you just the only reason we stay in the two to three range is that we know the fours and fives that are out there and the things that are coming. Right. So, and you know, by the way, we're getting darn close to some fours and maybe a five pretty soon. Right, and, and I also we're watched this back to back with the with the next episode. Yeah, and I didn't. Ooh, yeah, so yeah, can't wait to hear what of, you think about that one. That's coming up in just a moment, but. F- but first, we have to thank the patrons really quickly. I told you I'd actually read their names. And we've got a couple of comments, so let's very quickly move here. We have to thank the fine folks who keep our program on the air, and we need more of you, please. E.J. Alexander, Allison Rich, uh, Leah G., 
I think Leah had, had gone away and come back, so we're glad to have her back. Rich Hammett, his arms wide. Colonel Dad, Emmanuel Seaman, Michael O'Connor, uh, the cat that just went behind Andy's head. <laughs> They're back again. Stu Parker, Heather and Yancey Steingrabber, Ice Cream Clone with a Boba Fett head, and Michael Halbrook. You folks are so, so appreciated. I can't even tell you how much we appreciate you. Um, Absolutely. EJ Alexander writes in and says, this episode, and I, don't, I guess uh, he means the one, or she, I, now I'm, oh, here we go again. EJ, you're going to have to write in again and remind me if you're a he or a she, and I apologize. I really apologize, but EJ doesn't tell me a lot. We get, I get a lot of comments from all the different shows, and I apologize. Um, this episode was so much fun. I think this is referring to the last one we did after the 30th anniversary, 20th anniversary show. Um, says, following on from Allison's question, and since next year is the 30th anniversary of the show, holy cow, of the pilot, I guess. Right. Um, do you think that the legacy of the show has changed now that time has elapsed from its original airing? I was thinking about this after the podcast on Confessions and Lamentations and how hard it hits now with the pandemic, even though it was originally about the AIDS crisis. So I'm wondering if the message of the show will be different again in another 10 years or if certain episodes hit us differently due to circumstances then. I think that's a good question, and I don't, I don't know if we can tell that. I think that the episodes that do resonate with us differently now than they did when they first aired are so timeless hmm. that they will, and, and because history is what history is, I think uh, they'll resonate differently, but still as powerfully another 30 years in the future. I think that's, that's a, a, a statement on, on Jameis's writing. The episodes that are good are good. I mean, they're hmm. not just good sci-fi TV. They're good literature. Yes. And the only thing that we can't know is what will be happening then that will come all the way around again. We couldn't have predicted, well, right. we could, in general, we could have predicted a pandemic, but we couldn't have predicted right. this specific one at this specific time. And we don't know what will happen in how many ever years, but something will, and it'll latch on to the universal themes that these shows contain. And that's a tribute to JMS and to all the other creators involved in it. Right. So what we'll have to do, Van, is when we're in our 80s, we should oh, revisit the series and do another podcast. Who are you again? <laughs> <laughs> Andy who? Oh, Lord. Uh, yeah, we'll go back through the whole show over again in a couple of decades and see if we've changed our minds about anything. I'll be like, you gave that one a two? <laughs> are you crazy, boy? Idiot! It complete it completely freaks me out that this show is thirty years old already. This show is now older than I was when I first started watching it. Just oh, barely, wow. but yeah, it's crazy. Let me see. The show is about as old now as I was when the original show ended. Yeah, you're co you got a couple years on me. I do. It's a sad. This fact. show this show is older to us now than Star Trek was when we first started watching that as kids. <sighs> God. Ah. Yes. Yeah, oh, in fact, in fact, I figured out what episode of Star Trek came out on my birthday. Okay. Patterns of Force, the one with the Chicago gangsters with yeah, Vic Tabak and all that. Yeah. That episode first aired on my on the day I was born. That's awesome. Yep. So if anybody wants to do some real digging, you can figure out what my birthday is. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Yeah, so there was actually a Star Trek episode that came, that premiered on the day I was born. I just think that's pretty cool. Um, and not a terrible one. It's not great, but it's not terrible. Um, 
So several of our patrons were over on the Patreon page discussing, and I, and I like it that they're doing that, discussing to dream in the city of sorrows and more about that in, in the spoiler space. And Allison Rich, our great patron, Allison, who is awesome, she said, what a book. I love to dream in the city of sorrows. And then she added, because I had asked, she says, Mira Furlan died from complications of West Nile virus GD mosquitoes. I didn't yes. realize that, and it makes me so sad. I mean, yeah. I knew she had and, passed away, but right. Uh, well, and we had. She mentioned that she sent me a, a, an email as well because we had discussed. Uh, I think it was one or two episodes ago what she actually died of, and I, I thought it was. Uh, I, I said I know it's some sort of funky disease, but I forget what it was. But yeah, West Nile disease, and I. Yeah, it, it's so sad. It's crazy. It's so random. How did she get that, right. and how did it kill her? I don't know. That's crazy. I, I don't know the pathology of, of West yeah. Nile disease. I don't know how it's transmitted other than mosquitoes. I don't know how lethal it is. The, it's not good, but it's also, yeah. I mean, people get it and it, you know, it's not good, but yeah. it's right. just crazy. All right. Well, on to 304 Passing Through Gethsemane. This is one I'm really curious to see what you thought about because it's one of those standalones with a guest star, you know, that sometimes they're really good and sometimes they're not so good. And we had several of those in season two. Mm-hmm. So and and a couple in season one, like the the um, David Warner episode, you know, and the uh, Dwight Schultz episode, you know. Every once in a while, we get the fairly big guest star episode in a one off, and this is kind of what this yeah. is. But I think it's a pretty special one. So, all right, summary so you, from you, me. You neglected oh. you neglected to mention the Richard Mall episode. <laughs> I thought about it, and I just couldn't pull the trigger on that. <laughs> um, Lita Alexander returns to the station at Kasha's behest. And one of Brother Theo's brothers discovers that he may have a hidden past. Okay, this is production 305, aired 304. Something happened with the special effects, I think, and they ended up shuffling this one and the next one around because this one didn't have so many special effects, so he backed it up a week and and aired this one now instead of, I think, um, Voices of Authority maybe is the next one. And that one had some special effects, as you'll see. Um, it originally aired November 27, 1995. So we're almost to the end of 95. Written by JMS again. Directed by one of the Mount Rushmore's of directors, Adam Nimoy. I'm assuming that's Leonard's son. It is. And JMS had high praise for Adam Nimoy. He said that Nimoy would study the script carefully and then sit down and go through it with the different actors and get everything figured out in, in advance, even though there's such a limited amount of time with television. And he was very impressed with that. JMS was very impressed with Adam Nimoy. Uh, notable guest stars this time, Brad Dorif, the great Brad Dorif as, as Brother Edward. God, I love Brad Dorif. Uh, Louis Turin is back as Brother Theo, who was awesome in this episode. And Patricia mm-hmm. Tallman returns as Lita Alexander, who will be regular relatively soon. So I think that's pretty obvious from the episode. She doesn't leave. Um we got to say something about Brad uh, Dorif. Apparently what happened was he somehow JMS got the script to him. Uh, Dorif read it and loved it and said he, he was dying to play this character. And it is a part that you could see an actor really being excited about, I think. Absolutely. What, what do you think about Brad Dorif? Is he somebody on your radar or, or what? Absolutely. I, I, I know everything he's been in, and he actually uh, fills uh, one of my categories here. So spoiler alert, it's the oh, okay. high point. Okay. Um, I, I think he's a fantastic. I think he's a good actor. Um, I think he's a fantastic character actor, but I think he's he's underrated as an actor too. He's in in this role. It's it's a very subtle role. It's not your typical character actor role. But I th- I thought he did a fantastic job. 
Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. I mean, you know, you know him from Lord of the Rings when he plays Lord of the Rings, Wormtongue Wormtongue. and all that stuff. Yep. And, and he's always he's always playing a complete and utter slime ball, like yes, a really slimy slime ball. Too. Weird like, the slime type ball. Of slime ball that gets slimy people. Yeah. So in this one, he was very understated and very. I don't know. I just I I I think he's a great actor. He was not actually originally cast to play Wormtongue. He came in as a last minute replacement, kind of like Aragorn. You know, Viggo Mortensen wasn't originally cast to play Aragorn. They were both right, last right. minute replacements. Yeah, but it worked out really yep. good as far as I'm concerned. I you know I'd rather have him. Um, who who was originally set to play Wormtongue? I don't know. I don't remember. I probably knew that 20 years ago and I've forgotten. But it was somebody else, and it just they couldn't come to New Zealand or they had an obligation or something. And right. and they're like, go get Brad Dorff. If he can do it, he's a weirdo. <laughs> he could. Yeah. I was going to say, other than this role, and I think he's wonderful in this role, I remember yeah. him for three main things Lord of the Rings as Wormtongue, yeah. Dune as Peter DeVries, the avi- advisor yeah. to Baron Harkonnen with the yeah. giant eyebrows, and uh, the Doc on Deadwood. Yeah, he's so good as Doc on Deadwood because he give him the fuzzy hair and the mustache and the beard and the cowboy hat right. or whatever, and he's the grouchy old doctor, and I love him so much on Deadwood. So he's play he plays such vivid characters. So he does a characters with a lot of personality. Yes, um, I don't have very many factoids here. Let me run through, and then we'll see if you have any this time. Um, I think it's interesting that the one of the first things Brother Theo says to Susan is, I've always thought... No, 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 it's Brother Edward. says, I've always thought if you were going to sin, you should go for one of the really big ones. Well, you did. I right. think serial killing is up there. But he yeah. doesn't know that, and yet there he is saying it. So that was... When he said that at the very beginning of the episode, I was kind of like, whoa, dude, because you wouldn't have gotten that the first time you see it. But when you yeah. know going in that he's the killer, you're like, whoa! Right. Okay. Uh, that's exactly what I said. I said, whoa! <laughs> I need to put that on my sound effect board. Um, all right. To me, Sheridan seems out of place playing chess with Brother Theo. That totally seemed to me to need to be Sinclair. Right. This is why I, I say agree. this seemed like a first season episode in some ways. I, I have a factoid about that. Okay. All right. We'll leave it at that. Uh, this just seems like such a first season episode. Uh, Lita Alexander returns. We know that. I thought that it was interesting that that Lita points out that Londo's being a jerk, and he was. But I thought Lita was very short with Londo from the jump. He comes at the beginning of their conversation. Londo is very nice. He's like, "Oh, Lita Alexander, welcome back, whatever," and she just blows him off. And I'm like, "Dude." And my wife said the same thing, and there's a reason for that. Lita knows he's working ah. with the shadows. Ah, yes. She, she knew, and she was just she she knew right off the bat because of her connection with Kosh. The dang, gosh darn Kosh. Yep. Lando is the problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stay away from Lando. <laughs> Stay away from hair guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I need to, I need to get me a Kosh sound effect so I can play it and then do the voice. That would be better than me making the little sound effect. <laughs> I think um, that's half the fun. <laughs> uh, so basically the Minbari religion is Carl Saganism. We've, we've talked yeah. about that before, but it's made pretty darn explicit. She essentially quotes straight out of you know Cosmos here. Um, IPX gets a name check. It sponsors a segment of ISN. Yeah, and... Garibaldi kind of shakes his head at that. 
Yeah. Oh, we'll see more IPX. Uh, Lanier gives us a quick refresher on Valen. Yeah. That was always not a bad idea to remind everybody who right. Valen is, because it's been a while since right. he came up in conversation. Right. You'd be like, Valen who? What? Um, the computers that do searching and analysis on Babylon 5 are about as fast as the computers they use to make the special effects for Babylon 5. <laughs> You know, he's like... I mentioned that one to my wife, too. I was like, yeah, that would take us about 38 seconds today. <laughs> yeah, he's like, do a search on this, this, and this. And the computer's like, your answer will be ready in 17 hours. And you're like, what? What the heck kind of computer like, are you using, JMS? Google can do that by the time before I'm done typing. Oh, Google will have that sorted out. Lord, <laughs> it is funny how... Well, you know, while it's doing that, you can go down and get a paper newspaper out of the Universe Today right. machine. <laughs> Oh, we give it so much crap, but it's funny. It is funny. And buy, we, buy your tickets to the Stones tour that's coming up. <laughs> or Rebo and Zooty. Um, right. we, we say these things out of love, folks. You know that we love it. It's just fun to think about the ways that there are a few anachronisms that creep into the show. This 30 years old. It's 29 years old. Come on. Give it a break. Um, let's see. Why don't the Centauri hang around in Down Below? Because they have better taste than that? I don't know. I, well, that's what we're told, right? Right. When they we, said the Centauri. He ran into the Centaurian down below. He's like, the Centauri don't right. hang around down below. I'm when like, he said that, I it, I ran through my head, and I could swear we've seen Centauri extras in down below before. I, I was I mean, just I, like, where did that come from? Right. I, I think that w- I think that was just a a a plot device to nail the the Centauri telepath. Yeah. Again, shorthand. I mean, right. it's like if it's like if they had said. Oh, well, everybody knows that the Pac Marah prefer tomatoes on their pizza. And you're like, wait, what? They do? They even eat pizza? Who knew that? You know, I would just be like, where'd that come from? I guess if it's been Se- run over by a car. Secondhand. Yeah. If the pizza's <laughs> fallen out of the Domino's truck and been lying on the ground for a couple of days, they'll eat it. Uh, and did I have Oh, how did Dr. Franklin miss Lita's gills? Yeah, that, <laughs> I thought that was funny. He D- mentioned all these different Steven. things. Steven. Didn't she have that the last time she was on the station when when he did his 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 run through the first time? Because he said the last time you were here, I did a, a, a medical checkup on you, mm. and she had those the last time. Because I re- I distinctly remember when she went to visit Kosh that one time, she did a very dramatic where she pulls down her neck and shows the things breathing. Or I mean, am I mistaken? I don't know. I I believe yeah. you, but I don't remember. So well, anyway, that just. I think that's just Steven doing too many stems again, honestly. <laughs> He's like, yes, Lita, the red hair, the, right. the the chin, the gills, the black suit. Yep, you're fine. And like the nurse is over there going, wait, what? <laughs> what did he just say? You want to back up? No, 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 we're good. Steven, Steven was thinking of pickup lines to run by her. So. <laughs> he was. Woo, yeah, don't. I, yeah, that would have been funny if Franklin's like checking her out and all of a sudden she's like, Steven. He's like, ah, dang it. You know, it's the stems. A, it's a the funny, stems, Lita. <laughs> a funny tidbit that I ran across uh, while while uh, researching this. And Lita, uh, they try to fix her her wardrobe because she was showing off a little bit too much of the the, the cleavage. Oh. And she was like, "No, no, no, no!" Because she had just had a baby. She goes, "I finally have cleavage to show off, and I'm gonna show it off." There we golly. go. <laughs> Very good. Very good. I was gonna say, I the only time I ever met her was at Dragon Con in '98. She and Jeffrey Willerth Kosh were there when they were together. They were dating. Mm-hmm. She was actually dating Kosh back then, believe it or not. That's funny. The, the guy That's in the suit, funny. not the guy with the voice. Right. <laughs> and, you know, later she dated JMS. 
I did not know that. Oh yeah, Lita and Lita and JMS were a thing there for pa- Patricia Tallman for a little while. Yeah, a couple of years oh. ago. But she yeah. was dating the guy in the Kosh suit for a while, and then the two of them were at Dragon Con, which makes me mad because they're two of the only signatures I don't have on my cast poster. And they were there, and I didn't have the poster yet, so I couldn't very well get them to sign it. But anyway, yeah, I don't remember the the cleavage then. It must have gone back down by then. <laughs> um, the last thing is we find out a Vorlon can travel inside a person, it looks like. Isn't that interesting? That could prove yes. useful. Because yeah. it's like coming out of her or going into her right. or something. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay, what was your high point? Oh, you, you, I didn't ask you. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, I just went first factoid? this time. Yeah, Factoids It was originally written during season one. And it was because it was too late to be in the season one. Yes. They planned to film it for season two and never got around because there was so much going on in season two. They didn't get around to it. And then it was uh, um, reconfigured for season three. So yeah. that's, that's why it, that's why it has the feel of a much earlier it episode. It does. Because it was a much earlier episode. You know what? And that's right. And I remember one other detail about it. I don't think you mentioned this just now. I don't think I missed something. Is that it was because a fan suggested it. Yes, that's right. That's right. And he, he had already started what, writing it. It saw that on the, the whatever it was. the um, Genie uh, or something, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> And so they just let it simmer for uh, a couple of years before it they said got that back to it. Yeah, it it's the the guy that suggested it finally had to go and get a notarized document put together saying that it he was not going to sue, he was not going to claim any rights. And once he did right. that and gave that to JMS, JMS could write the episode. Yeah, that's how bad it is when you give story ideas to writers like that. Is it messes right. everything up? So don't do it. Yeah. Right. Write your own story <laughs> with those great ideas. Um. Any other factoids? That's all I got. That was a good one. Yeah, I'd totally forgotten about that. I'm glad you said that because I did remember seeing that, but then it just totally went out, went over my head. Yeah. Um. What was your high point? My high point was a gentleman by the name of Brad Dorif. Is it Dorif? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd guess Dorif. Yeah. I, I thought that he was just phenomenal in that yes. role. Um. Because, like I said earlier, he he's so understated. There there was a, a scene when he was interviewing Delenn and Lanier. Mm-hmm. And he just had a smile on his face that was so genuine, yes. and you made him. It made him seem like he was perfectly content, and you believed that he oh. was perfectly content. You yes. know, doing this that this was this was his whole life work right here, and he was absolutely loving this, which makes everything else that happens to him so heartbreaking because he found he was he had found peace, not knowing where he came from before. Mm-hmm. This was something that that was uh, he he found something that most people never find in their life. His true you know, meaning in life, and, and he was happy doing it. And and that little smile conveyed all that. I mean, it, it was just brilliant acting, I thought. Absolutely. It also shows, by the way, that the death of personality telepathic treatment is not as thorough as they want to believe if you can have stuff brought back. And it shows that it is not a black and white, right and wrong issue. Right. Um, yeah, this is, you know, this is better than killing the guy, or is it? You know, um, you know that that this is presented initially as a better alternative to the death sentence. Mm-hmm. But is it is it really less immoral to do this to somebody than to end their life? So it and was it was a fascinating discussion. It was, and Garibaldi makes an interesting case study in it because he doesn't think it's. Remember, he talks about we don't need an electric chair; we need electric bleachers. Right. Which is kind of the, it's by the way, 
that's funny because A, it's a funny line. B, it's a good counterpoint to what they're doing, which is the death of personality thing. And C, JMS knew Jerry Doyle. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not just Garibaldi talking. That's Jerry Doyle. Right. He became a right-wing radio host. And I'm not saying there's anything good or bad about that. I'm making no value right. judgment at all other than to say that that probably represented Jerry Doyle's actual thoughts. For better or right. worse, that's what he thought. Right. Okay. I want to say something else, Andy, while I'm thinking about it. Because this struck me very powerfully this time. I knew there was something else to this episode, and I hadn't quite put it together. I hadn't, I hadn't quite put my finger on it, Vera. I hadn't quite, but I got it. All right, And I think I got it. All right, I'm going to run it by you and see what you think. All right. We are super sympathetic for Brother Edward, and we want the best for him, and we hope they can fix this, and we don't want him to die. And he's a serial killer. But we say that's okay because he's been changed, so don't punish him now. At the end, Brother Malcolm, who only kills one person, and the person he kills was a serial killer, we think of him as, ooh, yuck, what a horrible bad guy. We hate that guy. And Sheridan does too, right? Sheridan doesn't even want right. to shake his hand. Right. And what's the, di- what's the difference? Because by any measure, by any measure, Brother Edward is worse than Brother Malcolm. By any measure, right. Brother Edward is worse than, Edward's worse than Brother Malcolm. But yet we are sympathetic and we love Brother Edward and we hate Brother Malcolm. And I'm going to tell you it's because we see Malcolm do the bad stuff right in front of us, and we don't see Brad Dorif's character, Brother Edward, do it. We right. we meet Brother Edward after he's been changed, and we only know the good version, whereas we've seen the bad version of Malcolm, and that makes all the difference, I think. It does. I, I, and part of my revulsion there at the end was just the, the horror of what was done to uh, Brother Malcolm. Because we we know wait which one Edward or Malcolm brother Malcolm the the, the guy that the the murder the the guy that murdered brother at wait which okay. one was which here no I, yeah. I I just want to make sure we're talking yeah. about the same one because it gets confusing they're both brothers so right what was done to the guy that became brother Malcolm how he okay. became brother Malcolm when we see brother Edward he's already been through the the, the transition and he seems like a nice guy so it seems like oh cool. He's yes. a really good guy. He's doing what he loves to do. This is, like I was saying earlier, this is his life's work and he loves it. Yep. Whereas when we see that same personality in Brother Malcolm, it's like, oh my God, that's horrific what mm-hmm. they did to this guy. It's like they brainwashed him or whatever. I think that's part of the revulsion is is just that that fear of, of you know losing yourself like that. I mean, it, it was a little, it was, it was creepy. No, I agree. And I, I and like I said, I think it, I think you're right, and I think it's that we see the entire arc of Malcolm, but we right. only see the good part of the arc of Edward. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it, it, yeah. So yep. it, that is really interesting to me. That's just one more thing this episode does structurally that I found very compelling and interesting that I'd never really thought about before. So, mm-hmm. okay. Um. Yeah, I agree. And I thought Theo was really good in this episode too, brother Theo, the older monk. He was. He was excellent. He he had a couple good scenes. One when uh, yes. brother Edward was was first starting to think about mm-hmm. uh, everything that was going on, and he was trying to convince him, "Hey, don't look into this any further," because brother Theo knew where he came from. And then it was. That, I'm not sure. I I think he had some idea. 
I thought he, he was I thought he knew adamant. at first. I thought at first that he knew everything, but then and I actually wrote it down in my notes. I said, why does he do why does he not immediately go and get help when he knows what's going on? And then later he asks Sheridan, you know, or whoever, you need to find out before brother before brother Edward does, right. why would he need to find out if he didn't if he already knew? Right. So I, I don't think he I knew. I think he knew uh, he he knew at least the general circumstances where he came from. Okay. That he, I think he knew that he he had been personality wiped. I think. Okay. I'm pretty sure because he okay. certainly knew that Malcolm at the end. So I thought that was a powerful yes. scene, and I thought the the scene right there at the end with when he first introduced Malcolm to Sheridan and how he turned mm-hmm. Sheridan from hating the guy and not shaking his hand mm-hmm. to then with just a few sentences convincing mm-hmm. him, you know. Sheridan and changing his mind completely. I thought that was a, I mean, it, it was a powerful scene. Um, Sheridan did is the one that did the changing, but Malcolm is, or not Malcolm, but Theo is the one that was the force driving that. And I thought he that was a brilliant scene. Yes, I was just sitting here thinking if I was lying in a hospital bed dying of some disease, I would want Brother Theo to be sitting beside me because he would say things in such a way that I would feel better yep. about life. Yep, agreed. Yeah, so good. Okay, low point. Uh, the low point was uh, Brother Edward's farewell um, mm. when when he was talking to Theo and was telling him, you know what? And he had changed his clothes already. You know, he had already he he's no longer in the monk's clothes. Um, mm. And he it was just heart heart wrenching. Yeah, you know, to see him give up on on his contentment, give up on on his happiness, mm. and to throw that away because of what he found out about himself. And I couldn't even imagine being in his, in his situation. I mean, it was, it was really heart wrenching that what, what really got me was when he said, how can I confess when I get up to heaven, how can I confess my sins to God? I don't even know what they were. Yeah. I thought that was, that was yeah. man that, and I'm not a religious person and that still kicked me in the gut. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, for my low point, I had just kind of like the most disappointing moment. And it was the new, it was Malcolm before he's mind wiped confronting Edward. And I thought he, again, kind of went 1978 movie of the week, bad guy being kind of crazy. Again, that's the kind of character that JMS, I think, does the poorest job on. And it still is great, but the the thuggy bad guy is the character he really does the the poorest job on in most episodes, I would argue. Um, And that's also... I'm I'm not sure if that was the the writing or if that was just the delivery the because no I agree if that had been yeah if that had been delivered a little bit more subtly or yeah. or not as 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 much mustache twirling evil yeah I I think it it would have been a much more powerful delivery well and that takes me to the Orenzento Benzane Award which I gave to Brother Malcolm before he's wiped I thought after he comes right. back as a monk I thought he was better yeah but when I, he's agreed. trying when he's trying to do JMS's evil thug guy it just Eh, it's not great. Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you agree with that one? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Most Babylon Five scene. Uh, for me, the most uh, Babylon Five scene was Lita. Uh, both with Lita. It was Lita and Londo, which we talked about already. Um, that that scene at the very beginning, because you knew that she knew. Well, at least I did. You may not have known, but I knew that she knew about the shadows. Okay. Yeah. That's why yeah, she that was, was your, so nasty with them. You caught that. Um, I didn't. Right. <laughs> And then the scene at the end with Lita and Kosh, I thought that was that mm. had um, that was weird. Yeah, it was very weird. It, it, it but it, it like you said, you know, it it has implications down the road. So I thought that was interesting. 
I wonder what the original B plot would have been if this had been a season one episode. Hmm. We'll never know. That's a good question. Yeah. Right. I wonder where it would have. And fit I in wonder. Right, and it was before the uh, brother Theo and his monks had been introduced. So I'm wondering how they would have. Maybe they just would have introduced brother brother Theo back then. I don't know. Yeah, I thought about that too. I'm like, how do you do this before you even introduce the monks? That's weird. But yeah, right. I don't. Um, my most Babylon Five scene is when Delin and Lanier explain the Minbari religion, mm-hmm. because the Minbari religion is so Babylon Five. But I have. I'm going to point this out now, and I'm going to say it several more times before the series is over. And that is, it always, it's, it, 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 it's interesting and yet it kind of annoys me how Delenn and Lanier explain things back and forth. Mm-hmm. Again, it's that shorthand where you don't want Delenn to have all the lines right. and Lanier just stand there. So JMS will have, have Delenn say the first few things and then Lanier steps in and fills some stuff out. And then Delenn comes back and finishes it, and that makes it more interesting. But again, in the context of the story, if that was Delenn should turn around and say, "Don't interrupt me, punk! You're you're my aide. You don't come in here and try to and try to Minbari splain over me." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that that just struck me as, "Come on, Lanier! Come on, man!" Uh, that's that just, funny. But, and he does that a lot. He does it more as yeah. the show goes along. And every time he does it, I'm like, "Why is Lanier speaking?" And and right at the end there, when when brother uh, uh, now you got brother Edwards leaving, and she goes, <laughs> "Well, we won't get into the whole Valen thing right now." And then Lanier jumps right in and starts, starts explaining who Valen was. <laughs> Here we go, Valen explaining yeah. to Sheridan. Funny tidbit about that: there's an outtake where um, brother Edward uh, calls him Valen, you know, like it's like it's a Tolkien name or something like that. And Bill Mummy, in Lanier character, just lit, lights into him like, no, it's Valen. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, that doesn't surprise me because in in Dune, in the original 1984 Dune, Brad Dorif says the Landsdrad, and that drives me crazy. It's the Landsdrad, and every time he right. says it, I'm just like, it's the Landsdrad, Brad, come on. And how did they not catch that and fix it, you know? But anyway. Only nerds catch that, so here we are. Um, what was your favorite character moment? I think we know. Favorite character moment was uh, right at the very end when Sheridan meets Brother Malcolm. Oh, interesting. Okay, that was yeah, not for me. I thought that was that was a neat moment, a neat character moment for uh, Theo. I thought he showed his character, and it was a great moment, a character development moment for um, for Sheridan. I thought it that was. He started he started the scene more like Garibaldi and ended mm-hmm. the scene more like brother brother theo he wasn't completely convinced at the no. end i mean he still had he was he was still sheridan but i mean he could at least look at it from a different perspective and and appreciate that the man has changed yeah no you're right i i had pretty much brother edward especially early on when he's laying out you know what he's all about and what he wants to do and he's trying to find the names of god and all that i just thought that everything yeah. he said there and his his little origami he would make and his bag and all that stuff. It just, it was all very powerful, I thought. I got to tell you, I didn't find the funniest moment in this one, so help me out. Huh, I have. Where is it? Funniest moment. Oh, yeah, right at the very beginning when he goes, gambling is such a, a, a minor sin. My idea is if you're going to go, hmm. go big. I thought that was, in context, knowing yeah. where the story was going that was kind of a dark moment yes. watching it for the first time that was kind of kind of humorous I'll, all right i'll um, give you that cuz cuz i, I mentioned thought, it is 
as a while ago, I mentioned that that was one that I was kind of like, ah, but you're right. The first time you see it, it's it's more of a funny. Yeah. I, and I thought another really good character scene, there, there was a lot in this one, most of them having to do with Brad Dorif, but I think the scene, when he first explains the, uh, the, the uh, uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane earlier, yeah. Yeah. and then he ties that in with his decision there at the end when, when he's dying and talking to Brother Theo, and he explains, you know, that I, I found out that I would have been strong enough to go through with that. I thought that was really cool. Yes. A, a neat, neat character moment. I... I often enjoy all the many biblical references JMS includes. I find it interesting right. that such a big atheist as JMS is so facile with biblical references. That's always very interesting. So right. Yeah. Well, the, and and I've said many times, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I am a spiritual person, and and I get the spiritual side of things, and, and GMS JMS does too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt about it. There's. Yeah. I would argue that there's. I mean. This show is the polar opposite of Star Trek, and I'm not saying in a bad way about Star Trek, but Star Trek has, and especially under Roddenberry, Star Trek has always gone way out of its way to minimize and relegate religion to the sidelines. I mean, Roddenberry basically felt that by the 23rd century, we would have given up on religion as a dumb idea and just moved on. And JMS says that stuff like that will always be important. And it doesn't really matter whether what you believe is true or not true. If it's important to you and it's important to your spirituality and all that, it has a very important role. That's what I teach. You know, I teach religion. You know, that's what I do for a living part of the time is teach the history of religion as a history professor. And I make it very clear in my students. I'm like, we're not favoring any religion, but we're going to see how important they all can be in different ways, you know. And I, so I respect and, that a lot. And Carl right, Sagan, right. Carl Sagan was the same way, too. Right. Yeah, Carl Sagan, you would think that he would be the, the atheist atheist, mm-hmm. but I mean he that whole thing that Delenn goes into, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that's I mean that's and we cool. could do a whole <laughs> a whole two hour, at least two hour podcast just on religion and the science behind it and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. But yeah, religion isn't going anywhere. I, I think ultimately religion will I mean, spirituality anyway will 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 answer a lot of questions that we can't answer right now. So. Yeah. And of course we know that through through Warhammer forty thousand, we know it all ends up with the God Emperor of the Universe. So <laughs> there we go. Everybody just worship the God Emperor, and you let everything else go. Um, who won this episode? We're almost to the end. I would say that Brother Theo won, or I'm sorry, Brother Edward won this one because, for the exact reason I just gave, he found out that he. I mean, he lost. He lost. You know everything that he thought he had, but in the end, he found out who he who he was, and he died being the same person that he he was when he was born and he found out that he would have had the strength to pass through Gethsemane. Andy, I'm telling you what. I don't know what's in the water tonight, but I'm going to share the screen with you here and you can see I said Lita won, but I said and in a way brother Edward by proving to himself he wouldn't pass the cup. There you go. I just wanted yep. you to see. I didn't just type it just now. That's what I had. So we were thinking the same. That's pretty cool. And I That's said Brother awesome. Theo, too, because Brother Theo had some wins, I thought. He scored some wins all he the did. way to the end. He did. He, he so, lost Brother Edward, but he, yeah. He, but yeah. he gained Malcolm, and he yep. kind of made his point. Yes, he did. Yeah. So there was, this is a rare episode where there were kind of multiple winners. I think Lita's a winner in the sense that she went to Vorlon space and came back alive and with power. Right. <laughs> so that's not bad. Of course, and we she apparently got she apparently got bigger boobs too. So I don't know. <laughs> That's just something Kosh threw in as a bonus, you know. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. No, I'm not going to do it. I can't. I can't have Kosh propose. I can't. Oh, just, I was getting all excited there not, when you started doing the Kosh. Yeah, that's the problem. I don't want you getting say. all excited about Kosh talking about boobs. All right, we're not going to do that. All right, here we go. What everybody waits for, the rating. You want to go? You want me to go? I'll let you, I'll go first if you want me to. No, I'll go first. I, I punted last time, so I'll go first. I gave this one a three. Um, I thought... As a standalone episode, it was a really strong one. You know, it yes. didn't it, it, it didn't play a lot to the the overarching story. It, it didn't have any of the the ambassadors in it. Um, this is the second episode without. Uh, well, it did have Delenn, but it didn't have anything with Jakar, and it didn't have. Uh, this is the second episode without uh, our Ranger friend in the White Star. So, um, even wow, without yeah. that, I thought it was such a powerful episode. It really spoke to you know some of my core beliefs. I thought it was really super cool. So I gave it a three. I agree with everything you just said. I forgot that gosh, it's like it's like Marcus came on the show and then left. He's right. got the same <laughs> contract Talia had apparently. Talia. Um I gave it a three point five. I liked it more this time. I've watched it recently just by itself. Like a year ago, I watched it just because I remembered I liked it and liked Brad Dorif. But the some of the stuff that I realized this time made me like it even more. So three I honestly 3.5 is about as high as I'm ever going to rate a standalone episode, right? When you get into yeah. four, when you get into four territory, you're talking about a big arc episode. Anything right. four or better. So this is as good of a standalone as I think we're going to see. I agree, and I, I I just put my limit a half a star lower than you did. If it's if it's a standalone, it's got to be something totally spectacular to to, to get a, a, a anything higher than a three. I wonder if somebody one of these days will go through and average all of our ratings up across all the episodes and see how our numbers compare over the course of a season. Because I have I a would, feeling we're, we're usually just half a point off either way, and I bet it evens out. I bet it evens out over the season. Right. I was hoping that you were tracking this on some spreadsheet somewhere. <laughs> oh, I, I'm not Alan J. Porter on the Bond show. He, Alan, when we do our James Bond show, Alan, Alan Porter, Alan J. Porter puts, uh, he does everything in spreadsheet. And this is what's so funny is that on the very first episode of our new series with, with the James Bond movies, I said, all right, we're adding three new categories. And he's like, but I just did the spreadsheet. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm doing a, I'm calling an audible, Alan. He doesn't even know what that means. But I'm calling it audible, so you better expand that dang spreadsheet, buddy, because we're adding, adding categories. It's so funny. I, I started keeping track of my star rating uh, with a distant star. That was the first time that I wrote on here what I thought my star rating was. Oh, okay. All so, right. All right. Well, one of these days, maybe we'll find out. All right. On our next episode, before we go into spoiler space really quickly, I don't have a whole lot, so we'll be out of here in just a minute. Yeah. Um, our next episode, we have Voices of Authority and Dust to Dust. And I got to tell you, they're not big, huge wham episodes, but they're close. Right. Voices of Authority, man. Yeah. Some stuff happens, is all I got to yeah. say. Talk about boobs, man. <laughs> we got some we got some stuff coming. If you know if you know Voices of Authority, you know what I mean when I say there's some stuff coming. And then uh, Dust to Dust is like the Miami Vice episode of Babylon Five with the with the drugs, the drug episode. So maybe I'll go watch Miami Vice now, the movie. So all right, new podcast, uh, new podcast coming. I've been trying to put together a White Rocket review of the Miami Vice movie from 2006 for a couple of years now, and I can't even find anybody that wants to do it. 
That's because it was such a bad movie. If we it's, did the TV show, if we did the TV show, I'd be all over. But that movie was so. I love slow. that movie. I love that movie, <laughs> man. I've watched it a million times. I love it. Well, Jer- you'll be happy to know that Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist, or one of our other network hosts, he agrees with you. He doesn't like it either, and that's why I can't right. get anybody to do it with me. <laughs> All right, I I'm, think I'm, we should do a podcast with me, you, and Jared, and then we'll have fun just trashing you this geez, Yeah, let's don't do that. Let's never, never do that. All right, let's go through the... Chunkate activated. So I just have a couple of things, and it's mostly just um, the Brakiri reference for comments. I mentioned Day of the Dead. In Neil Gaiman's episode in Season 5, Day of the Dead, we, they, they have comments everywhere as the symbol right. of the Brakiri religion when a section of the station is handed over to the Brakiri for a day, which is really awesome. I love it. That's a really good episode. It's one of the best season five. And then um, EJ Alexander had another comment, and I thought it was one I would move to spoiler space, says, season three, baby, another great episode of the podcast. Thank you, Van and Andy. I just have I have just read to Dream in the City of Sorrows. I'm telling you, it's a big topic right now on our Patreon page. Andy is correct that Sinclair gave Marcus his fighting pike. Van is correct that it's in that book. This leads into spoilery territory, but the arrival of the White Star, second only to the Thunderbird 2 in my book, reminds me that Sheridan's Starkiller nickname is actually well-earned, even though it's an insult. He destroys the Black Star pre-series, and then the White Star at the end of Season 3. That's true, he does. He almost destroys the White Star... In, se- in episode one, right, of season three, and then he destroys, he blows a white star straight to hell at the end of season three, right? Uh, he's Straight to hell. Yeah, uh, straight to hell. He's an equal opportunity nukem kind of guy. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Uh, this made me think about further into the season three, in War Without End, oh, we got that one coming up, those two coming up. Sharon and Delenn and Sinclair are all told by Zathras that the three of them have a destiny. Because three is the magic number, just like on Schoolhouse Rock. Uh, that was me, not not EJ. Uh, because three is a sacred belief in the Mimbari culture. So symbolically, Delenn is gray because she's the great council and the work she does. Sinclair is light because he fights the big war a thousand years ago and brings hope and order to the universe, uh, to Mimbar. Lives in legend as one of the holiest figures. So is Sheridan dark? He snuffs out stars. He fights with shadows, and he walks into the darkness of Zahad Doom. I'm digging where EJ is going with this. This is kind of, I don't know if I believe a word of it, but it's cool. <laughs> it's awesome. It is cool. Um, I, I, and, I so love he said, and so to kind of conclude, EJ, uh, he and Sinclair are on journeys in opposite directions and tracing that throughout season three from the opening episode onwards when you know what's going to happen is both interesting and sad. You guys have mentioned about how Sheridan is smiling Johnny when he first arrives, even if sometimes it's a bit of an act. But what happens in season three means we never really see smiling Johnny again. Thanks for such a great podcast. It's the highlight of my week. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. And you know what else is awesome? Thunderbird 2. <laughs> Absolutely. That is an, that's an awesome ship. I love that show. Absolutely, absolutely. That's Jerry Anderson, and of course, he also did my all-time second favorite TV show after Babylon Five, Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. Which, ooh, maybe we should sprinkle a few Space Nineteen Ninety Nines in when we get toward the end of Babylon Five. I'll see if I can twist your arm to get you to do that. Have you ever watched that I, show? I, I used to love, love it as a kid, but I think I think Space Nineteen Ninety Nine would have been better if it had been with puppets because they <laughs> they may have been a little less wooden. 
than, than the actual actors. All right. I was on a panel at Dragon Con a few years ago when the when the Blu-ray disc came out of it. And yeah. and and somebody said it's it's now that now that Space 1999 is on Blu-ray, you can see the wires that hold up Martin Landau and Barbara Bain. And I'm just like, "Man, that's just so wrong." But it's probably I remember, true. I remember two things from from Space 1999. That's the Eagle One action figure toy oh. set I had as a kid. Heck which yeah. was freaking awesome. And there was an episode there where some space monster, they were fighting some space monster in some hallway, and he kept sucking people in and spitting them back out as, like, encased in metal. And I had yep. nightmares about that for a month. I did, too. That's the scariest thing I ever saw on TV <laughs> other than the Night Stalker. To this day, yeah. almost 50 years later, I remember how frightened I was when I saw that on TV. It freaked me out. <laughs> I've watched my own copy of it enough now that it's kind of erased over it, but I know exactly what you mean. I was the same yeah. way. That that was terrifying. Yeah. That was one of the scariest monsters they've ever put on TV. Yeah. You know what? Now that we're talking about it, Space 1999, the scene in the last episode, the first episode we discussed, when uh, one of the one of the Narns pulls out a gun to shoot uh, Nalan. Uh, yes, that the was Narn guns. Look, yes. they do. They, they yeah. Dang, <laughs> the stun gun. Because I had. I had one of those guns when I was a kid. It shot little discs out of it. I remember mm-hmm. exactly what it looked like. With oh. the three different little knobs on it. Yeah. I've got I've got model replicas of the the com lock and the stun gun. I've never even opened the box yet. I got them back when I had COVID in November. And all these months I haven't opened it because I know it's there and I'm just leaving that box sitting there. For the day that I splurge and get me a Space 1999 costume for Dragon Con, there I've got go. the I've got those things ready. Yeah. That's the reason I got them is for when the day comes and I get the costume, I'm I'm, I'm all set. I've been putting I, all my I effort would, in my Babylon and in my in my Boba Fett costume right now, but right. I you know I would have to be a lot more comfortable with my body before I put on a Babylon or before I put on a Space 1999 spandex outfit. <laughs> <sighs> That's true. That's true. I'm well. I went on a crash diet for several months in 2017 to be able to fit back into my John Sheridan black Space uh, <laughs> Babylon Five uniform. All right, and, and that's and wool. I, so that's not like spandex yeah. that shows every every inch of you. <laughs> I, I wore it to that year, and then the next year I'm like, well, not going to be wearing it anymore, but at least I got one more year out of it. It's in the closet now. But uh. You know, after watching the, the Boba Fett show and seeing the, the uh, shape that Tamura Morrison is now in, <laughs> I am much more comfortable cosplaying as Boba Fett. Than no doubt about it. <laughs> Good old Tamura. That's right. All right, man. I think we're going to wrap up and get on out of here. And uh, another fun episode. We've had a lot of good conversation tonight. Not all of it was on the yeah. re- on the recording, too. It's, it's just been fun to hang out with you tonight, Andy. I mean, tell, tell your wife I'm sorry that I kept you till 10 o'clock our, our time or 11 o'clock your time. But, right. but I've just had I a have, good time hanging out. I did, too, and I'm so looking forward to Pulp Fest when we can hang out together and oh. play some cards and drink some beers and, and that. We're going to have some fun. We're going to have some yeah. dang good time there. It's going to be A great. funny story. Hmm? A few years ago, this is after we had talked, and we actually did a Micronauts podcast together. Okay, We did. After it went right that, down the digital toilet, and we never, right? <laughs> never got right. recorded. Yep. I walk up to you at Pulp Fest, and I say, Van, how the heck are you, buddy? And you look at me, you're like, I'm sorry, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. <laughs> I was like, dude, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. I don't know everybody by by in, when I meet them, you know. I don't I, know. I don't recognize well, and everybody. And I had met you at at Pulp Fest a few years earlier. In fact, that was the very first well, this is a whole different conversation. But you were the <laughs> first pulp writer I met at a pulp convention. Wow. And, 
and I bought all your superhero books from you. Holy cow! Well, you are you are an even greater saint than I even knew, and I already thought the world of you. So now I think two <laughs> worlds of you. That's amazing. That's amazing. Cool. All right, man. We'll uh, we'll we'll talk uh, we'll talk later. We will do it, and we maybe we even record a special little episode while we do the card game at Dragon Con- at at, uh, at Windy City over uh, over beers and cards. I think that would be a blast. All right, we are out of here. We'll see you guys in two weeks. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.